film Grand Canyon, an immigration attorney breaks out of a traffic jam here in Los Angeles. He's attempting to get out of the traffic and get home. His route takes him along a street that grows progressively darker and darker. It's deserted. Soon his expensive luxury car stalls, and those alarming streets where the guardians favor expensive guns and tennis shoes. The attorney does manage to phone for a tow truck, but before it arrives, five young street thugs surround him and his disabled car and threaten him with considerable bodily harm. Just then, the tow truck shows up with its driver. An earnest, genial man begins to hook up the disabled car. The toughs protest the truck driver is interrupting their meal. So the driver takes the leader of the group aside, and he says this, quote, Man, the world ain't supposed to be like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than it is here. Now, Cornelius Plantinga, in his uh, book that I'm reading from, goes on to say, The tow truck driver is an heir of St. Augustine, and his summary of the human predicament belongs in every book on theology. And he goes on to talk about, uh, in this book, shalom, that sense of wholeness and peace that we ought to have. And the name of the book is appropriately, The Way Thing, Not the Way Things Are Supposed to Be. Now, I think that if you're honest with me, you would say, Steve, it's true in my own life and my relationship with God, in the past and sometimes presently, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Would you agree with that, uh, that statement? I mean, I, I agree with it. I'm the pastor. And I think if you were honest with me, you would definitely agree, Steve, sometimes my relationship with others, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And if you're very honest, you also know that things in your own life, your own relationship with yourself, sometimes that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's a great way for talking about uh, our world and the situation of it. Now, this summer, we're looking at key beliefs that uh, we are adopting at First Baptist Church. What are the essential, bedrock, fundamental, foundational things that we believe? If we could distill it down into Starbucks-friendly language, what would we say? And we've put some of these together, and this summer we're going through these beliefs. These are really core beliefs you can build your life on and that we can build a church on. And so let's review these. Our mission statement, first of all, let's read this together, and um, it'll be up on the screen. Would you read with me? Our mission, to make followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God. Now close your eyes and say it, would you? To make followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God. Now, we put a vision statement together, and that is really, if you closed your eyes, what would you like to see here? That's, that's the idea here. It's much more specific than the purpose statement. Let's read this together, our vision. We see FBCP in the heart of the community with the sanctuary filled with worshipers, building filled for God's purposes, community filled with transformed lives, and world filled with disciples who share Christ's love. Now, the past couple weeks, we've looked at core values, and we begin in Genesis chapter 1, which reads, In the beginning, God. God created. And so we talked about God. And here's that statement. Let's read it together. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
who created all and seeks a loving relationship with everyone. Therefore, we will love God and share God's love. Now, to each belief statement, we've put a therefore because a lot of times we say we believe this, but we don't act like it, which really demonstrates that we don't believe it. And so all of our belief statements have a therefore, kind of an action step uh, with them, and that's this one. Now, let's go to chapters 1 and 2, our statement about people. God created people in his image, but through disobedience, our relationship with God was broken. Therefore, we will value all people and walk humbly with God and others. Yeah, that, that others part is good, isn't it? Thank you. Uh, this morning, I want to continue that thinking, and we're going to talk about our core belief number three. And I'll read that to you, or we'll go over that in just a minute. But uh, let me ask you a question, and the question is this. What, and by the way, you might want to follow along in the sermon outline form. The question is this, what is our greatest need? Now, the wireless mic decided not to work, so I really can't walk around and grill you today. But think about that. If somebody said to you, you know, what is our greatest need, how would you answer? Of course, if you went to a part of the world where someone is starving to death, they would say, my greatest need is food. And if you went to a place, uh, let's say you went to Chicago in January and you were dressed like this, somebody's walking down the street like this in January in Chicago, they'd say, my greatest need is for a coat and a warm shelter. And so really the answer to the question depends a little bit on your circumstances. Uh, If you ask a poor person their greatest need, they might say, I need money. If you ask a, a mom with a bunch of little children what her greatest need is, what does she say? I need sleep. I need to go to sleep. If I could just get a good solid eight hours. I swear moms of young children are the hardest people working in the world. I, and, they, you know, it's 24-7. So it, the question, again, depends a little bit on uh, the circumstances when you're asked. Now, I don't know. I m- might raise a few eyebrows, but uh, some of you may have seen this little pyramid that I've got in here. Uh, it's called, it's from, I remember when I first learned about this in college, Abraham Maslow's uh, hierarchy here. I thought, wow, that's just, uh, just fascinated me. And I know there's some comments to be made uh, against this and so forth. It's not the end all, but it's very helpful. And as you look at the bottom of the pyramid, number one, he's really talking about our basic physical needs. As a human being, if you're hungry, that's going to dominate your landscape. And the hungrier you get, the more you're going to think about food. That's just a basic human need. And you cannot live very long without food and water. It's a basic need. So this pyramid, and we're not going to go through all this, but the pyramid helps us again think about the answer to the question depends a little bit on our circumstances. And as you move up this and towards what he calls a self-actualized person, Jesus was the only truly self-actualized person, as you move up towards this, then it moves kind of from the physical to the spiritual or the physical to the mystical or transcendental or whatever you want to call that. And so it, you can kind of look at that. What is our greatest need? Again, we might answer the question differently depending on the time of our life, depending on our circumstances. There's another question I want to ask, and this morning I'm basically going to ask some questions to stimulate your thinking. But uh, the question is this, and it comes back to the story I read from the movie Grand Canyon. And the, the question is, what is our problem in the world? What is our problem in the world? And again, depending on who you ask and the circumstances, they're going to give you a different answer. But, but let's stay with this question for a moment. What is our problem in the world? 
I want to go back to chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. We started in chapter 1. We talked about God. Chapters 1 and 2 about, are about cr- the creation of human beings. And remember, I encourage us, we are God's crown, we as people are God's crowning act of creation. We are made in the image of God. The image of God is still with us. Genesis chapter 2. It's really a nice story up to the end of Genesis chapter 2, don't you think? In fact, it, it ends there naked and running around. You never thought of it that way before, did you? But you can read it. Uh, now we go to chapter 3. And uh, let's read some scriptures from the story that you just heard in Genesis chapter 3. We'll read this together. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, I want to go back and read to you from the Scripture, uh, verses 15, 16, and 17. Uh, I want to get in your mind, just be thinking with me about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden early on in that pristine state. Just conjure up whatever you can. Here's what the Scripture says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now, again, picture with me that wonderful, idyllic scene of Adam and Eve in the garden. It's perfect. Whatever you think about in that sense, uh, it's hard to overthink that issue. It's just a wonderful place. And they've got all these trees, all this fruit, and God says, It's all yours! It's all yours. Go and enjoy. And they can swim through the stream. They can hike up to the top of the hill and look over the Garden of Eden. It's the best place possible. Not only that, Eve never worried about her weight. She didn't get upset about how she looked. She wasn't too short. She wasn't too tall. She wasn't too anything. She just didn't care about that stuff. Not only that, did Adam and Eve ever have a fight? Didn't even know what fight was. Can you imagine? Poor Adam, he was never worried about stuff. He didn't get jealous of Eve. He didn't get jealous of anybody else. It was just a perfect place. Can you imagine? There was no friction in this couple. There was no friction or tension or badness in creation. It's it's that kind of place. I mean, that's kind of exciting to think about, isn't it? That's the way it was. It was the way it was supposed to be. And even though we cannot fully describe that and our minds can't get around it, That statement helps us to get at it. It's the way it's supposed to be, whatever that means. We know it's supposed to be a certain way. Well, that's the way it was. Now, what happened? What happened? Things changed. And we're not going to go detailed through the book of uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3. We don't have time for that. But um, you remember what happened. She ate, and she now knew good from evil. She gave it to Adam. He ate. He now knew good from evil. I put a little synopsis. This is going to be in the Steve Hasper version. It won't be called the message, but it'll be much shorter. Here it goes. She ate. He ate. Ain't it great? But too late, they realized their fate. Humor me. Uh, so anyhow, back to the question. What is the problem with the world? Let's let, let's let the Bible answer. And here's Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The problem with the world is this. Paul, writing about this passage, thinking about these things, said this. 
Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. What is the one problem in our world? Sin. And as we talk about in class 101, what is the only vowel, what's the central letter in the word sin? I. I didn't hear you. I. Say it again. It's like a confession. I. Yeah, that's the main sin problem we have. I have a sin problem. Now, you may think, well, if only I had been there, how hard is it not to eat from that tree? Well, had you been there, you would have done exactly what Adam and Eve did with the same consequences. And so this morning, as we wrestle with the question, what is the problem? You all know the answer. This is not a surprise. You don't have to dig deep to find this answer. There's a sin problem. And we describe that in this value statement. The relationship we have, we people, with God is broken. It's broken. We are in a state of a broken relationship. Uh, and that's, that's the problem. Now, I want to read from Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And I don't know why I'd never recognize this. I've read this dozens or maybe hundreds of times. But again, notice the sequence. When, uh, when Adam and Eve have now eaten of the forbidden fruit, and again, there was only one command, you know. They only had one rule, and they broke it. Interesting. When they had eaten, what's the first thing that happened? Well, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, Genesis chapter 2 ends how? It says, the last verse says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were what? Not ashamed. That's how Genesis 2 ends. It's purity. Things are the way they're supposed to be. There's no sense of wrong or badness or shame in the world. No shame. Now, the minute they eat of this fruit, what's the first thing Scripture says? calls us back to their nakedness, and the implication is they're ashamed because what do they do? They put on clothes. They get dressed because now they know the difference between good and evil. Not only that, verse 8 says, and they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. This is really sad. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Can you just feel that breeze blowing across Eden? They'd like it to blow in here a bit, but too, but uh, a cool evening breeze, I might say. They, he, God's walking in the evening breeze, and the man and his wife, what do they do? They hide. They hid themselves among the trees of the garden. How tragic. How tragic. And how true. And two things I want to point out here. First of all, God comes to them. God knew, God wasn't surprised when he found out they had eaten for the forbidden fruit. God already knew it. And what did God do? He came to find them. And so, let that be a lesson this morning. It's kind of a sidebar comment. Your bad behavior or my bad behavior doesn't surprise God. Secondly, what does God do? Now, if you picture a whiteboard, you know, you write on the whiteboard and you can wipe it off. You might think that at this point, God would do like the whiteboard. He would just wipe it off and say, I'm done with that. Adam and Eve, they messed up. Let's start all over. We'll get different names for different people. We'll do something different. Maybe we'll go to Mars and have life there. God could have started over. God did not. But he came, and this is the point I really want you to get. He sought them out and said, where are you? He called out. And those are three great words that should be highlighted in your Bible. Where are you? And that's the way God, that's part of God's nature. God always seeks us out. Why? He wants to be in community or relationship with us. 
He wants to have a relationship with you. Now, this value we're looking at says that our relationship with God is broken through sin. God seeks to what? Restore that relationship. I say that because God said, where are you, Adam and Eve? And he seeks to reach out and bring us back. And that's always the nature of God. And right now, as you listen to me, you may have had a terrific week or you may have had a disastrous week. And you might say, Steve, in all honesty, my relationship with God right now is really bad. It's broken because I did this or I did that or I've been, you know, this is the way it is with me. My friend, God says, where are you? God is seeking to restore a relationship with you. God wants to be in community with you. God wants to come in the cool of the day and sit down and have lemonade with you and say, how's it going? And as that relationship with God is restored, then you can begin to restore relationships with others and even yourself because God's going to give you a new heart. And so that's such a a terrific question. The problem is sin. And the reality is God seeks to restore that relationship in our lives. Let me read again from uh, the book of Romans as Paul writes about this situation. We already looked at Romans chapter 1 where we hear that sin came into the world, or Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And in a couple verses later, here's what Scripture says. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on in that chapter to talk about just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam and Eve, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. And he talks about how Christ then is the second Adam who overcomes sin in the world. Just as sin came through the first Adam upon all of us, So salvation through the second Adam, Christ, can come to all of us. And later in the same book, Paul writes these words. He says, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Who shall go to the abyss to bring Christ up? But what does it say? What does the word say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Well, what is that word, Paul? Tell us. Here it is. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. Is that a great statement? Hallelujah. That's the key to the restored relationship. And this morning, if you'd say, my relationship with God is not restored, then you need to confess Jesus with your lips, believe in your heart, And it will be restored. That's the good news that we believe. And so the problem is sin. What is the solution to the problem? The solution to the problem is Jesus. The solution to the problem is Jesus. When Adam messed it up, Jesus fixed it up. When Adam lost his inheritance, Jesus got it back. When Adam broke relationship with God, Jesus came and restored relationship with God. It's through Jesus. So I ask you again, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with others? How's your relationship with your own self? God wants all of those to be the way they're supposed to be, to be in harmony. Now, let's look at value number three. We've written it out. I want to put it up on the board for you. It's also listed here. Let's look at that for just a minute. Uh, In fact, we'll 
Let me read it, and then we'll read it together. God restores our relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Therefore, we will. We'll get to the we will in a minute. But uh, let's read this together. God restores our relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Therefore, we will. Here's our action response. And let me give you that now. If you like to fill in the blanks, you can do that. The first one is we will trust Jesus. That's the obvious first response. We will trust Jesus, just as Romans 10 teaches us to trust Jesus. I want to ask two questions. The first question is this. Have you ever trusted Jesus? Have you ever actually said, yes, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, and I trust you now as my Savior? If you've not done that, I encourage you to do that today as a simple act of faith. Now, I've done that. I did it many years ago, but I want to, and many of you have too, here's the question for us. Present tense, are you trusting Jesus right now? Because, you see, it's not just something we did in the past and that's been there, done that, it's over. It's a present tense kind of thing. And right now, as you face whatever challenge you face, are you trusting Jesus? That's the key. So that's the first question uh, about trust. And then the second statement is, we will trust Jesus and we will communicate God the good news. We will communicate the message, the gospel, the good news. We will be bridges. And this year we've talked about how can we become a bridge across which others will pass to find Christ. How are you doing at that? How are you at becoming a bridge? Because that's your mission as you go out of here today and go to school or work or whatever you're going to do. You are an instrument of God to be a bridge to help other people meet God and hear the good news. How are you doing? There are all kinds of ways we can emphasize becoming a bridge, but I want to read... uh, in conclusion this morning from a book. It's called Blue Like Jazz. It's a book by Donald Miller. He's a younger author, and um, this is sort of his uh, biography, autobiography, I guess, of his faith journey in many ways. And uh, he's writing now. He's a college student to, at Reed College. Now, Reed College is up. I think it's in Portland, Oregon. It's up there somewhere. It's a, a top-notch, very small, private liberal arts school it's a very academic place. It's also very liberal. Anything goes at Reed College. And he was talking about a particular party they have every year. And he said on Friday night, everybody gets drunk. On Saturday night, they get high. And there's so much drug use and abuse that they actually have a medical team on campus to take care of the six students. That gives you a picture of this environment. Are you with me a little bit? Just imagine, a, you know, this liberal university college campus. And it's a party. He said, kids are running around naked. They paint themselves blue. It's just this wild, like Mardi Gras-like scene. Well, he's a Christian, and he's there. And he's in some studies with other Christians, very small group, and they decide, what should we do when this festival comes up? And so what they decide to do is this. And he didn't, Donald Miller didn't suggest this, but one of the guys said, we should build a confessional booth right in the middle of the campus. And we're going to write, confess your sins on it. And so everybody, that'd be cool. Yeah, that's what we ought to do. And so they, they did that. But what happened was they just put confessional booth. They didn't put confess your sins on it. But he said, we built this big monster thing, and we painted it up. And so he said, I found a monk's outfit, and I wore a, this dark monk's outfit, and we walked around. And people said, what are you doing? And we said, well, we're, you know, we're, here's what we're doing. Well, this is a, a very long chapter on what his experience was. I've tried to condense it down and read different sections of it. I hope it will kind of hang together, but you get the idea. Donald and his friends have decided to have this confessional booth. He's dressed up like a monk. He's inside, 
and he writes about it in, with all my heart and in all the world. I just wanted to get out of here. I was embarrassed. I was, you know, nervous. I didn't know what I was going to say. He's quite anxious about this whole setting. Here's some of what he says. I was going to tell Tony that I didn't want to do it when finally the, cur- the curtain opened and Tony said we had our first customer. What's up, dude? Duder sat himself on the chair with a smile on his face. I asked him his name, and he said his name was Jake. I shook his hand because I didn't know what else to do, really. So what is this? I'm supposed to tell you all the juicy gossip that's going on at the festival? Is that right? Jake said, no. Okay, what then? What's the game? He asked. Well, it's not really a game, more of a confessional thing. You want me to confess my sins, right? No, that's not really what we're doing. And he goes on with extended conversation, but then he finally says, what are you confessing? I shook my head, Don writing, I shook my head and looked at the ground. Everything I told him. Well, explain, he said. Well, that's a lot. I'll try to keep it short. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened, you know, if my ego gets threatened. Jesus did not mix spirituality and politics. I grew up doing that. It really got in the way of the central message of God. I know, that, I know that was wrong, and I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because people like me who know him carry out our own agendas into the conversation rather than just relying on the message Christ wanted us to get across. There's a lot more, you know. Oh, that's all right, Jake said very tenderly, his eyes starting to water up. Well, I said, cleaning out my th- clearing out my throat, I'm really sorry for all of that. I forgive you, Jake said, and he meant it. And again, he goes on with other conversation. What's the deal of the cross, Jake said. God says the wages of sin is death, I told him, and Jesus died so that none of us would have to, have to die. If we have faith in him, then we are Christians. That's why people wear crosses, he asked. And they go on to discuss that a while. Finally, thanks, man. I believe you really mean that. He's talked to him about God and Christ. Thanks, man, said Jake. I believe you really mean that. His eyes were watering up again. This is so cool what you guys are doing, he repeated. I'm going to tell my friends all about this. He looked at me very seriously. It's worth it, he said. He shook my hand, and when he left the booth, there was somebody else ready to get in. It went on like that for a couple of hours. I talked to about 30 people, and Tony took confessions on a picnic table outside, on, outside the booth. Many people wanted to hug when we were done. All of the people who visited the booth were grateful and gracious. I was being changed through the process. I went in with doubts and came out believing so strongly in Jesus. I was ready to die and be with him. I think that night was just the beginning of a change for lots of us. Now, that's a very interesting way to become a bridge. And this morning, as we conclude, I want to conclude with four questions. And before I do that, I want to read our statement one more time, and you can listen. This is the third of our core value statements. God restores our relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Therefore, we will trust Jesus and communicate the good news. Now, I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now and close your eyes. And in just a moment, I'd like to pray. But before I do that, I have four questions. 
And if you want to respond to any of these four questions, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand, which means you're signaling before me and God that, that you're responding here, that there is a need, and I'll pray for that need in just a minute. And the first question is this. Are things the way they're supposed to be between you and God? How is your relationship with God? And if you would say, Steve, my relationship is not what it should be with God, and I'd like help there, just raise your hand. No one's going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you. Several of us have raised our hands. Thank you. You may put it down. That's the first question. I need prayer for my relationship with God. The second is this. How are things with you and others? Are they the way they're supposed to be? Are there broken relationships? Do you need prayer for those? And if you would, just raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm raising my hand over these broken relationships. Thank you. Thank you. You may put your hands down. The third question really is ourself. How are you doing in the skin in which you live? How is it between you and you? And do you need help in your own personal self-esteem, your attitudes toward yourself, your own personal relationship with yourself? How is that? And if you need prayer there, I encourage you to raise your hand. Thank you. Many of us raise our hands. And then finally, the prayer, the question is this. How are you at communicating the good news of Jesus? I struggle in that area a lot. And some of us work in Christian environments. We have scarcely have any non-Christian friends. And we need to create some avenues where we're around people who don't know God, who are far from God. And if you're willing to say, Steve, I really do want to be a bridge this year, to help others find God, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, you've seen our responses to these questions. And uh, it is amazing as we go back to Scripture, especially Genesis 3, and we realize your nature, that you are a God who always says, where are you? And you're always trying us to call us back into relationship with you. God, I pray for each one of us in this room that needs a restored relationship with you, that we might in faith turn to Jesus Christ and that your healing power would begin in us. Help us to trust you, to keep on trusting you as we face challenges. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have struggled and are in difficult relationships with others. And I pray, dear God, that you might help us, Lord, to learn the scriptures, learn how to be responsible in relationships, how to be healthy in relationships. Oh, dear God, through your word and your spirit, through counselors, through friends, help us to be the people you've created us to be and behave the way we're supposed to behave. And then, Lord, many of us struggle with self-esteem. Things have happened to us in life. We've chosen badly. Uh, There are a multitude of reasons why we feel the way we feel. But, God, would you... Through the power of the Spirit, speak to us to remind us who you've created us to be. Human beings, people, women and men created in your image. We are the crowning act of your creation and your glory is given to us. Help us, dear God, to be able to live within our skin as we are created to. And then we will be great bridges, Lord, to those around us. Father, We do pray that as members of First Baptist Church, we might have a holy passion about communicating the good news to to folks, not just to each other, but to folks who don't know you. Lord, I think of those that I'm trying to talk to, Sam and Debbie and Shelley and uh, others, Crystal, that uh, so desperately need you. They don't have a clue, Lord, and help me to be a proper bridge 
help each one of us. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.